0: Julia Tertian is the author of Simply Julia, 110 easy recipes for healthy comfort food. Julia is the best selling author of Now and Again, which was named the best cookbook of 2018 by Amazon and was an NPR great read. Also, she wrote Feed the Resistance, named the best cookbook of 2017 by Eater, and Small Victories, named one of the best cookbooks of 2016 by The New York Times and NPR, which, by the way, sits right next to our oven. She also hosts the IACP nominated podcast called Keep Calm and Cook On. Julia has co authored numerous cookbooks and has also written for the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Wall Street Journal, Vogue, Bon Appetit, Food and Wine, Savor, and more. Epicurious has called her one of the 100 greatest home cooks of all time, and the New York Times has described her as at the forefront of the new generation of authentic, approachable authors. Julia regularly travels for media appearances to speak about her work, sit on panels, moderate conversations, and do cooking demonstrations around the country pre-COVID. She also sits on the Kitchen Cabinet Advisory Board for the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History, is a member of God's Love We Deliver's Culinary Council, and is the founder of Equity at the Table, an inclusive digital directory of women and non-binary individuals in food. Julia lives in the Hudson Valley with her wife and pet's Welcome, Julia. Thank you so much for coming on Moms
1: Don't Have Time to Read Books. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I've been listening to some of your, your interviews, so I'm so excited to to get to do one with you.
0: Oh, thanks for
1: listening. That's nice. <laughs> You've had amazing people, so I'm very honored.
0: Oh, thanks. Okay. Simply Julia, let's talk about your latest book and everything related to it. I loved this book because yes, of course it was a cookbook, but there was like an essay before every recipe, which was so great. (laughs) So it's like you sort of unveiled yourself over every dish. And of course, food has so much to do with who we are and our experiences and memories. So tell me about the idea behind the format of this book and how it came to be.
1: Sure, yeah. Well, I really appreciate hearing, you know, your your experience with it. And that's wonderful to hear because I did pour so much of myself into this book. And yeah, every recipe has like an incredibly personal story behind it. There are other like essays woven into the book. There's like old family photos. So it's it's a deeply personal book. You know, that's my name and and my face on the cover. (laughs) Like it's it's me for sure. But it's also in addition to being the most personal cookbook I've ever read written. It's, it's the most practical one I've ever written. And, you know, my career has been a mix of doing my own books and also collaborating with other people. And Simply Julia is actually, I counted recently, it's the 15th cookbook I've worked on. Oh my so gosh. I was able to, you know, take everything I've learned from all of these experiences and put so much of that into this book. And what my main goal is, and what I've learned from working on all those books is I just want to help people feel comfortable cooking and feel, you know, as excited as possible to do it. And also no, it's okay if you're not always excited to cook, but when you're cooking to just feel really comfortable and really calm and feel kind of that sort of friendly feeling of someone is in your corner saying like, you've got this, it's no big deal. It's going to be okay. It's just dinner. (laughs) And so that is really the goal of Simply Julia. It's all really, really easy recipes. It's all for healthy comfort food. You know, I take I think a long look at what those words mean, healthy and comfort, and try to offer my own definition. Um, invite everyone to think about their own and yeah, to just kind of be there for you in your kitchen. That's that's my goal. So I, I hope that comes through. And that's great to hear that like all that personal stuff came through.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. You know, it's funny you mentioned how you know, this is for people, even if you don't feel like cooking. And I couldn't believe in your introduction, how you were talking about how sometimes you just don't feel like cooking. Cause I would imagine you always feel like cooking. Like it would be like second nature. And you were like, sometimes you just don't feel like peeling an onion. I'm like, really? Even you? (laughs) So then I'm like reading along. I'm like, oh, she totally gets me. And then it's like staples that I always have in my kitchen. And I was like, okay, she's going to say like, you know, the the basics, like, I don't know, olive oil, eggs, milk or butter, I don't know, something. And then it's like kimchi and like <laughs> coarse mustard from this level. I don't know. I was like, okay. So we're not I'd like corn tortillas, which is so interesting, right? Because I don't even have corn tortilla. I mean, I usually have flour tortillas, but my kids like those more. Anyway, so I, we diverged there because your okay. like staples in cabinets and everywhere were just a little more exotic than mine. But then as you unfolded all the recipes and found you know, where you used a lot of them, it became very clear. Although I have the same olive oil, so I feel good about
1: that. <laughs> I will say just a small, tiny tangent, just because you brought it up. I am, you know, books are only ever done because we've turned them in, right? <laughs> a friend of mine, Amelia, she always tells me that. And something I've been thinking about a lot is: I really wish I gave as equal of a shout out to flour tortillas as I did to corn tortillas, because I love both of them. <laughs> and I just want to <laughs> say, hearing you say that, I'm just, I think whenever our conversation is done, I'm feeling a little bit hungry and I should have had a snack before. And I'm like, I cannot wait for the flour tortilla quesadilla that is waiting for me that I will be making. So that's on my mind. I'm like, so happy you brought that up.
0: Julia, if you would like to take your laptop into the kitchen and make a quesadilla as we talk, that would be great. I would be all for it. Go ahead. You could show me how to do it. Your way,
1: <laughs> I would, but then we would have two very loud dogs barking because they would want one too. So okay. maybe, maybe after our recording. <laughs> well, given
0: that my breakfast this morning was my kids' honey nut Cheerios, I'm ashamed to even admit that. Yes, maybe I'll be inspired for my lunch too and make what you're making.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no shame there. I definitely I love cereal, so yeah. But I think pointing out that we're not always in the mood to cook is, is a totally okay thing to talk about. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very happy that you noticed that part of it and it resonated because I think about that a lot. Like I, I'm a cookbook author and I'm a cookbook author because I love to cook and I have my entire life. And, you know, I have a lot of things going for me when it comes to making home cooking feel really easy and doable, including my love for cooking, including the fact that I work from home including the fact that I have a kitchen that I'm really comfortable in. You know, I have all these things going for me. And yeah, sometimes I don't feel like cooking. So I can only imagine people who, you know, I know you have four children, you know, people who have other things going on. You know, I know if I don't always feel like it, other people must feel that way too. But, you know, we still want to make dinner or, you know, get through the day. And so I I like acknowledging that because I just think it's, it's true. And that's part of home cooking is cooking when you don't feel like it.
0: It was also really interesting how in this book, which, you know, as we're talking, it's still December of 2020, I know this will come out after this, but you know, it's still sort of pandemic life, and yet you reference a lot of stuff from the beginning of the pandemic. How the pictures were taken, even in April when everything was shut down, and how mm-hmm. you were finalizing it in February. And you reference how some of the meals—I think it was some sort of beef something stew or something—you gave to a lot of first responders, or and people were asking all the time how to make beans, <laughs> and, and so you came up with a recipe for that. So tell me about how you decided to—I mean, sure. I assume, obviously that wasn't the original plan for this book to include any of that because
1: it hadn't been happening. So just tell me about that. Yeah, part. sure. I also will just add, I really appreciate that you really read the book <laughs> and you <laughs> know that doesn't always, always happen. So yeah, I appreciate that. I basically the timeline of the book, you know, I sold the book and started working on it pre pandemic. I had no idea that, you know, none of us had any idea of, you know, what the last year would, would hold for us. And so when COVID began in at least you know, in in the United States and in New York state where I live, I was basically at the point where I had written the whole book. I had tested all the recipes. So all of the words for the book were done. And I was getting ready to take all the photographs, which is you know a huge part of any cookbook. It's the sort of marriage between between the words and the pictures, and which are gorgeous. In oh this book, by the well, way, thank you gorgeous thank you. Okay. And, anyway, go on. and but it, the the way we were able to make those gorgeous photos was kind of it was it was unlike any photo shoot I've ever been a part of and I ended up working with an amazing photographer, Melina Hammer, who actually lives 10 minutes away from me. We both live in a pretty rural area in in the Hudson Valley. And she is incredible because not only is she a great photographer, but she's also a food and a prop stylist. And if anyone doesn't know what those words mean, a food stylist is someone who prepares all the food that happens in the, you know, beautiful photos and cookbooks. And a prop stylist is the person who picks out the, the dishes and the napkins and the little, you know, jug of flowers or whatever it might be. And it's rare to find someone who does all those things, let alone someone who lives nearby in this pretty random place where we live. And because we did all the photographs right at the beginning of of the pandemic, which was, you know, a lot of lockdown we devised this kind of wild system where i would prepare everything at my house and i would find reference photos for what i wanted the photos to look like and then i would drop off a box of containers on melina's step every day and then she would put the finishing touches on everything sometimes i would drop off you know my my grandmother's platter that i wanted you know, the dish to appear on, things like that, or, you know, a little ceramic pot my wife made when she was, you know, a kid, (laughs) you know, just these little details that no one else would know, but, you know, they're important to me. And that's how we made all the photos. So we made it at this very surreal time. And, you know, I was thinking about when it came time to do the photo shoot and, you know, to do it in this unusual way, we figured out, you know, I didn't know if that would be possible. And, you know, I definitely thought like, I'll just postpone the book, like, you know, there's much more important things going on. But because I had the opportunity to complete it with someone as talented as Melina, and to do it in this way that was quite literally very close to home, it just felt like, why not just go for it? And I I felt some momentum and a sense of I don't know, maybe some kind of, yeah, motivation to complete this as quickly as possible, because I do think that this book is just incredibly useful. And I think there's recipes that are really, yeah, I mentioned the word practical before. It's just like an incredibly practical book. And I just want as many people to have it because I just want people to feel super comfortable cooking. And I think the book really offers that. And yeah, so there's a lot of stories about things I made. I do a lot of like community work where I live and volunteer work. So there's a lot of stories about things I made. Yeah. For our local first responders, we have like an all volunteer EMT squad in her area who were, and continue to respond to this crisis. And my next door neighbor, who is the retired EMT of, I think she was in the squad for like 30 years or something, you know, she was feeling really, you know, sad to not be on the front lines. That's where she had been forever. And so I was talking to her and she was like, well, the one thing I can do is make something to eat. And so we sort of went in on it together. And between the two of us every week, we're dropping off, you know, a big thing of this or that, and including one of the recipes, which is for ropa Vieja, which is like this really delicious kind of like shredded beef dish with all sorts of like delicious aromatics. And you just put it in the oven and forget about it. Like you don't have to do anything. So yeah, so those stories come in and all that kind of stuff. And so yeah, I got to fit you know, start the book before the pandemic, finish it during the pandemic, and it feels just incredibly relevant and useful. And, you know, it will will be published, you know, about a year (laughs) anniversary of, at least in in our region, people being, you know, at home. And, you know, we're all cooking. So I hope it just gives a little bit of of spark for for some new recipes and, and routines.
0: No, it's good. It puts it, it's very, you know, of the moment, right? It's obviously there's so many stories from the past, but and I love how you throw in all this stuff with your family, like the mix master that your grandmother gave you for your pot mitzvah, <laughs> which is amazing. Cause I got one for my, not a mix master, what do you call it? The Kitchen
1: uh, uh, KitchenAid. Yeah.
0: KitchenAid. Yeah. yeah. So I have a yellow one that I got for my first wedding, which I still have. I seem to have kept that in my settlement or whatever. <laughs> and like, literally like the kids will be making something and they'll be like, well, this calls for a mixed uh, kitchen aid. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. We'll just like stir it ourselves. Like, I don't want to pull it out. It's so, heavy. <laughs> it's so heavy. It's so heavy. But then whenever I use it, of course it brings back all sorts of stuff. Yeah, You also had an essay in there where you showed a picture of you and your mom and talked about body image a little bit. Mm. Tell me a little more about that.
1: Sure. You know, that essay is one of the things I'm, I'm most proud of in the book. And I'm just so happy it's in this book. And the essay is about, it's essentially like a reflection on sort of body image and and self-worth, you know, both my own and, you know, all of ours. And I included that essay because, you know, this book is, it's about healthy comfort food. And so often I see healthy cookbooks that are, in my opinion, a little bit of a kind of like a disguise for some disordered eating or restrictive eating and i say that because i've been part of of that i've you know i grew up very much in diet culture i grew up with a lot of restrictive eating and disordered eating and i've you know i don't know the right word for it i think i've clawed my way through that and tried to get to the other side of that and that's something i continue to work on, you know, in my, my personal life and in therapy and in conversations with, with my wife and my closest friends and, and my mother, who you mentioned, there's a picture of us when, you know, I was really little. And I feel like it was, it was vital that I share some of that in this book, because this book is a book of, you know, quote unquote, healthy recipes. It's a book of things to prepare, to make you hopefully feel really good. So I wanted to talk really honestly about, how i've felt about my body and about cooking and about eating and you know i mentioned earlier i've loved to cook my whole life and while that has always been true i've also had like a really fraught relationship with with eating the the food i've cooked and you know that's complicated and i think it's worth at least attempting to untangle i don't know that i have the answers by any means but i think it's really important to be honest about that kind of conversation especially in a book that promotes healthy eating and you know, I think it comes back to, for me, defining it as like a very kind (laughs) and holistic relationship. And, you know, healthy doesn't mean skinny, (laughs) you know, they're not interchangeable words. And, you know, I, I, in that essay talk about that, I have really struggled with the idea of just the word fat and fat phobia. And that's something that's, you know, been a through line in my entire life. And I think it has for many people, especially women who, our home cooks. <laughs> and I just wanted to sort of talk about that and kind of help in whatever way I could to destigmatize the word fat in a healthy cookbook. And I think that's a pretty powerful thing and something I haven't seen done before in this kind of cookbook. And I'm really, you know, I'm happy that it's part of it. And I really appreciate the support of all the people I worked on for the cookbook to, you know, really uh, be excited to include that and to kind of open up this conversation a little bit more. So, yeah, it's that's that's the essay and I think, you know, when I was digging through old family photos to incorporate into the book, there is like this really sweet photo of me when I was really little sitting, you know, in my mom's lap that we ended up attaching to that essay and it feels really kind of poignant to me because, you know, this is something my mom and I discuss a lot and I think we're both working through both separately and together. (laughs) And, you know, to sort of have that photo of me, I think before I even really realized what I was so steeped in just feels, yeah, kind of powerful in some way. And, and also very healing in a way. So, yeah.
0: Oh, no, I loved it. I was so happy you put it in. And it's funny, my, well, I guess not funny. I shouldn't preface this with it's funny, but my (laughs) grandmother, my grandmother recently passed away. We were very close. She was was 97. So it's, you know, it's okay. But anyway, I'm actually, I just, my mother just sent me all her belongings and I'm wearing her sweater because it came last night for the first time. And she, her whole life was like obsessed with the word fat. Per year conversation. And this is something, of course, that goes generations and through families and you know, whatever. And she would always say, like walking down the street, you know, is she as fat as I am. You know, she mm. what about her? Like, what what do you think? And, you know, her body barely changed her whole life. And yet she was obsessed with it. I'm like, you're 86 or whatever she was mm-hmm. when we were talking about it. Nobody's looking, you know. But some of these things, they're just so entrenched in someone's DNA that If they're not worked through at a young-ish age, they're just not going away
1: ever. Yeah. No, that's really wow. That's like wow. (laughs) And (laughs) you know, it's I think it speaks to the, you know, the comparison that that diet culture kind of encourages for us to compare ourselves to each other or to, you know, I know I've like had a hard time like looking at pictures of myself when I was, whether I was in a smaller size body than I am now or a larger one, you know, like I compare myself to myself, you know, and your grandmother walking down the street and pointing that out. That's such a good example of that. And, you know, what I think a lot about now is what would it be like if we, if there was if we swapped comparison for like compassion, like what would that feel like? I don't know exactly how that happens, but I think thinking about it and just being able to talk about it in a setting like this is is part of it, I hope. So that's really sweet that you're wearing her sweater. That's, I I love knowing that. That's really, wow.
0: Not to mention that like it fits and I'm like, huh.
1: (laughs) I'm like, what
0: does that that mean?
1: mean, Yeah. What does that mean? You know,
0: it's funny, your book, it could so easily be a memoir with Mm. recipes if you (laughs) change the font and format. Like, (laughs) I feel like maybe, well, not that you need more ideas or anything, but I feel (laughs) like you have so many stories in you. And even like that one essay and how much that just brought up, like, you could write an actual, instead of formatting it as a cookbook and putting it in that aisle, I feel like you should also do it doesn't have to be that long, but like a memoir. And maybe you have a few recipes at the end of chapters. Like I'm trying to think, I was looking behind me, there's this book by Phyllis Grant. It's called Everything is... Oh
1: yeah. That book is amazing. Yeah.
0: So it's like, that's her story, but then there's a recipe. And then you're in the memoir aisle and you reach a whole nother group of people who maybe like food, but they're not going to try to cook. Anyway, mm-hmm. just put that on on the back burner because I think you would write a really great memoir in and of itself with oh. all these stories and one that I would really like to read. So anyway. Well,
1: just I appreciate that, that. The idea of working on a book that didn't involve all the logistics of recipe testing and, and photographing food sounds like really relaxing to me. So yeah, no, I love that. What's cool about cookbooks though is, you know, especially one like mine, where I've had the opportunity to, you know, put so much writing and put so much myself in. What constantly amazes me is that because it is not a memoir, because it is a cookbook, all of these recipes get to become part of other people's lives. And mm-hmm. people come back to cookbooks, I think, in ways they don't necessarily come back to other books. Like I know when I read memoirs that really move me, it's it's rare I'll read it twice. You know, I might underline some stuff and reference it. You know, or think about it over the years and share it with a friend. But you know, a cookbook is something you keep returning to. So it forms a kind of relationship between myself and and the people who cook for my books that is something I value so much, and I've come to find to be just, I think, absolutely like the most gratifying part of what I do. You know, I talk to a lot of people I've gotten to know just from being a cookbook author, and you know, I get to hear about how, you know, I don't know, a soup or a cake or or something that has meant a lot to me. That's maybe a family recipe. Maybe it's something that's like my wife's favorite thing, whatever, whatever it is. And then all of a sudden it becomes, you know, someone's birthday cake every year and, you know, it becomes not about me and it becomes about them and their family or their friends. And it's a very profound experience. And I, you know, I really just appreciate it. I don't, I don't know what, to That's say about it. Neat. It's it's really oh, special.
0: I, I've never thought about that from the point of view of a cookbook author, how that thrill that you must feel like knowing that it, what you do, yeah. what you've created is then replicated. I'm trying to think who else that would even refer to maybe like songwriters, like what other yeah, yeah, are totally totally. repeated experiences on the other end of the page, you know,
1: it's, yeah. you're right. It's, so it's, neat. it's really surreal and it's very special and You know, being a cookbook author, also in the age of social media, which, you know, social media is complicated. But one really beautiful thing about it is getting to see actual pictures of things people are cooking. And, and, you know, that never gets old. And I remember when I published my first solo cookbook and I was seeing that happen and people making, you know, my lasagna recipe, my meatball recipe, you know, these things that are just part of my, like, you know, weekly kind of life at home and I was seeing pictures of those recipes appear in other people's kitchens, like I would cry each time. And like, it was just, I was, you know, I would hope that if you write a cookbook, you know, someone would cook out of it, but to actually see it, I like didn't anticipate how emotional that would be. And, you know, yeah, it really, I've like learned to not cry each time. I'm also like an easy cry. Like I cry at like the commercials and all that stuff. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, it's like, it's a very like emotional experience and it's really amazing. And it, I'm just very grateful for it.
0: All right. Well, I am vowing that I am going to make one of your recipes no matter how badly I botch it up because I'm not the best kick, <laughs> but I'm going to do it. I'll tag they're, you.
1: They're very forgiving. <laughs> I think you'll be really, I just, I believe in you and it's going to be great. And even Thank if it's you. not <laughs> perfect, it'll be great. So
0: I know on your podcast, Keep Calm and Cook On that you always ask people about their most meaningful childhood dish Mm -hmm. or thing that they used to cook or eat or whatever. So what is yours? I'll end my podcast with you by stealing. Oh
1: wow. This is such a like (laughs) I feel like I've just turned my chair around. The thing that I love most when I was growing up, off the top of my head, I mean so many things, right? But The first thing that popped into my head is my dad's meatloaf, which I I did a version of in Simply Julia as meatballs, mostly because I'm impatient and they just cook a lot faster. But my dad's famous Tex-Mex meatloaf, which was famous amongst me, my mom, and my brother. (laughs) And, but it's like a really genius idea. And he would basically, both my parents worked full-time when I was growing up. And, you know, the only time we really had like a family dinner was like, usually like Saturday night. And my dad often cooked. And so for his meatloaf, he would combine whatever kind of meat, like whether it was just ground beef or a mixture of things. And then instead of the usual kind of eggs and breadcrumbs to help kind of stretch out that meat in a typical meatloaf, he would put a jar of salsa and he would crush a bag of tortilla chips. And then he would put like a ton, like a ton of cheddar cheese, like in it and on top of it. And it was so good. And we all like looked forward to it so much. And the best thing was, you know, Saturday night dinner was great. And the meatloaf was, you know, out of the oven and wonderful. But the best, best thing was Sunday when we would have like cold meatloaf sandwiches for lunch. And I think that was like really my favorite. My dad is like, he makes like the best sandwiches. And so yeah, there's a Tex-Mex turkey meatball recipe inspired by that meatloaf in the book, and that was the first thing to come to mind. And yeah, I now feel like I want both a quesadilla and... I well, I don't so want to hold you, at <laughs> you guys.
0: And also, by the way, I've been doing these anthologies and I have one coming out in February and one next November. And I would love if you have any interest in contributing like a recipe with oh, a sure. story. Yeah, to um, the second one. That would be amazing. So I mean, that's clearly like my favorite thing to do is a recipe and a story. Yeah, so yeah, whatever. I'd be that's delighted. A recipe and a story. Okay, yeah, perfect. Awesome. All right. I'll follow up. Please well, please. this has been so fun. And I feel like I could just, you know, open the door that's behind you and like follow you into your kitchen and watch <laughs> you make all your stuff. So I will leave you to go to your life and I'll oh. go back to mine, but it's nice that I got a little entree into into yours for the morning. <laughs> well,
1: thank you so much. This really was so fun and it went by so quickly. And I really just appreciate you sharing like especially about your grandmother and stuff. And I'm glad we had this opportunity. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay. I'll be great. It <laughs> really went so fast. <laughs> so thank you very much. And yeah, please do like send me whatever details about that. I'd love to be a part of that.
0: Awesome. I'm thrilled. Cool.
1: I will. Okay. okay.
0: All right. Take care. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of moms don't have time to read books.